Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. Well, it's a joy to be together. This is a, um, this is a momentous anniversary, in, uh, in case you didn't know it, and most of you didn't, our pastors didn't even know. But uh, this weekend, 25 years ago, we moved into this building on this property. We took possession of it <clears throat> the final weekend of 1996. I can't believe that's a quarter century ago already. That's kind of freaking me out. We had, uh, and for those of you who may remember, Charles and Francis Hunter, they were called the Happy Hunters. We hosted the Happy Hunters for our first weekend in this building, and they came in, and we saw tremendous healings. Um, the whole weekend, though, we had them in Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and uh, th- those folks, by the way, they, they stayed in their ministry. They ministered well into their 90s. We, we had them before their 80th birthdays, I think, right, right before their 80th birthdays. But uh, Charles and Francis Hunter, um, they were a trip and a half. Every restaurant we, t- we took them to, uh, and there was, used to be an old downtown soul food restaurant called Miss Pearls. Anybody remember Miss Pearls? It was one of our favorites. All of our guest speakers love Miss Pearls. So we took Charles and Francis Hunter to Miss Pearls downtown and uh, Miss Pearl knew Charles and Francis Hunter, knew who they were, and she went crazy. And um, Charles and Francis Hunter started talking to everybody in the restaurant and said, uh, there's only two kinds of people in this world, people who know Jesus and people who are about to. Which one are you? <laughs> and, and every one of them just about to, to, to they all said, uh, I guess I'm about to. They said, that's right. And they led, them, they led people to the Lord every place we went, didn't they, honey? You remember that, Gail? It was so crazy. Anyway, we had a great time with them. They brought healing to people everywhere they went. They were, they were called the happy hunters for a reason because they were genuine. They were real people. So that's, I can't believe that was 25 years ago. The building's changed a lot since then. We used to have big uh, rooms over on this side and that side, and uh, the stage was a lot higher and the ceiling was a lot lower. <laughs> anyway, it's great to see the changes and the, and, and the use of the space today. And we're looking forward to the legacy building, hopefully uh, this uh, growing this year and coming up out of the ground soon. Amen? Today we're going to get right into the message called Darkest Before Dawn. We're talking this month, the sun still rises in Babylon And let's get into the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible word of the living God. Welcome those of you in Jamaica. Jamaica Way, we love you guys and uh, love the church there. You're doing such great things. We are excited to be investors in Jamaica. We love the people of Jamaica so much. And we're so thankful that even in the midst of the lockdown, you've been arresting pastors in Jamaica for having church, but the bars are still open. And they strategically left, they strategically shut down the churches at Good Friday and Easter coming up. Three Sundays are not allowed to have church. It's illegal in Jamaica. They've already arrested pastors and uh, the bars are open, but our missionaries there, pastors Travis and Yvonne, have been out on the streets then feeding people because people are starving 
because they can't work. Everything's shut down. And uh, we just pray right now, healing power over that nation. COVID numbers come down and let the church arise. Amen. Amen. Darkest before dawn. That's for you guys in, in Jamaica. <clears throat> We've been talking about Daniel and others. Daniel had an excellent spirit, guarded his holy heart from the atmosphere of Babylon. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, we read this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Boy, say all that sentence in three times fast. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books. Look, look at this very carefully. I understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. So Daniel's reading from Jeremiah and he's realizing that there was a 70-year promise of God that the captivity of Babylon would only be 70 years and he realizes that they're close to it. He said that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So what did he do? Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel's reading at exactly the right time that it's time to pray to release God to do what he wants to do. Now I want to read to you <clears throat> from Jeremiah. I'm going to read to you what he read from in just a moment, but in Jeremiah 29, that's part of the passage. Prior to the 70-year proclamation in Jeremiah, here's what Daniel is reading. Verse 4, I'm going to read from the message. This is the message from God of the angel armies, Israel's God, to all of the exiles I've taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, make yourselves at home, put in gardens and eat what grows in that country. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you'll thrive in that country and not waste away. Make yourselves at home there and work for that country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. Boy, I'm tired of hearing people talk down America from every side and every persuasion, every background. The Bible says we're supposed to speak well even when we find ourselves in Babylon because when it goes well in Babylon, it goes well with you. <clears throat> now, a few verses later, I know most of you know, many of you know by heart, Jeremiah 29, 11. But look at what it says in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, shalom, and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I'll listen to you, and you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all, all, all of your heart. Let's pray together one more time. God, would you open the eyes of our heart today? We seek you. 
with all of our heart today, Father. We search for you and we look for you in every situation. Father, we ask you to forgive our sin and heal our land in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was last with you, we talked about thriving in Babylon. We've been talking this whole month about thriving in the midst of adversity. Even when the world system has turned against God, even though the world system lives against him and makes laws against him, God shall reign and we shall thrive. We discussed Babylon as symbolic of the spirit of the world system and originated from the word Babel, meaning confusion and division, literally to break down unity, fragmentation, and separation. And yet I've just described to you the spirit of what's happening in 2021. But God is preserving and preparing a righteous remnant. Can you say amen? Now as we move forward today, it's hard to see a bright future when you feel trapped in a dark moment. It's hard to recognize when you see all the stuff happening around the world. It's hard to realize that God is still going to be good to you. In fact, his goodness is going to be coming even to the earth through you and because of you. God loves his people. He preserves his people and he cares about you. The old saying is it's always darkest just before the dawn. Sometimes we get short-sighted, don't we? You know, in the year 2000, two young entrepreneurs tried to save their struggling mail-order video company by offering to sell it to their gigantic competitor, Blockbuster Video. Netflix founders came in and cut off shorts and t-shirts into a corporate setting and offered their little startup that was fledgling and struggling, offered it to Blockbuster for $50 million dollars. And the polished, well-dressed CEO, a blockbuster, smiled and nearly laughed them out of the room. Hmm. Blockbuster went bankrupt in 2010. Last year, Netflix netted $25 billion in one year. I'd say that's short-sighted. In 1962, Decca Recording Company, a big label at the time, rejected a group called the Beatles, 1962. Rejected the Beatles as the CEO said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. (laughs) Short sighted. In 1977, Ken Olson, chairman of Digital Equipment Company, said, quote, there is no reason anyone would ever want a computer in their own home. <laughs> there are more, shorts, or more stories of short-sightedness in the world than you can even imagine. But if anybody should be able to have faith <clears throat> and hope for the future, it should be us, the people of God. Can you say Amen. Many years ago, my pastor Benny Hinn talked about growing up in Israel in the 1950s and 60s. His father had been the mayor of Joppa during a dark period. And before they immigrated to Canada, they lived through 
a period in 1967 called the period of the Six-Day War. Remember Pastor Benny mentioning this a couple of times, and it just stayed with me. And I was preparing these messages about how God comes through for his people in the time of some of the greatest stress in the world. I just felt like, hey, I want to look it up. I want to read the history of it. And I found a whole treasure trove of stuff. I don't even have time to go into it all, but just very briefly... A recent study revealed in May 1967, as Israel was celebrating its 19th anniversary as a nation, which, by the way, the single most important event in prophetic history in the world is the regathering of Israel as a nation. That's when God's time clock started again on the end times. I'm not saying that as a fatalist. I'm saying that as a, as a victorious conqueror in Christ. <clears throat> but that was the beginning. And after 19 years, just after the anniversary, May 14th, 1967, the 19th anniversary, the next day, the Egyptians decided to put their troops, hundreds of thousands, in the Sinai Desert, <clears throat> pardon me, and position them to try to take over Israel. In response to their gathering on the border, on the western border, Jordan, Syria, and Iraq decide to come in from the east. The Arabs declared that they, quote, we will wipe Israel off the face of the map with a second holocaust. These forces were backed by the Soviet Union, Russia at that time. This lasted three weeks, this pressure. By June, the Israelis were in such fear. I read newspaper articles online. They prepared to be annihilated because they were surrounded by these Arab invaders who were determined to destroy them. They started preparing national parks in Israel to become cemeteries. And they predicted that they would probably lose about half of their population or more. <clears throat> but through a series of miracles, God showed up even for his people, Israel. Amen. On day one, before the Arab nations could strike, Israel launched a preemptive airstrike against Egyptian airfields. As the Israeli Air Force took to the sky, the first miracle of the war occurred. Jordanian radar detected the planes and tried to warn Egypt. But the Egyptians had changed their coding frequencies the previous day and had not yet updated the Jordanians with the new codes. The message never went through. Giving Israel the element of surprise, the Egyptians had no time to react. The Israeli Air Force destroyed six Egyptian airfields and hundreds of Egyptian planes. In a single day, on the first day... Israel destroyed the Egyptian and Syrian air forces completely. The Egyptian air force never even had a chance to leave the ground with one airplane. Day two in the Six-Day War. <clears throat> Many times in the Bible, God would fight for his people by allowing the enemy to turn on each other in the fog of war and confusion. The Israeli army expected to face a serious battle at the heavily defended Kusayma outpost 
in the Sinai Desert, but as they drew near, they heard explosions. When they arrived, they discovered the Egyptians had destroyed their own equipment and abandoned the base. At other bases, the Egyptians had not even bothered to scuttle their equipment before fleeing. Some members of the Egyptian army offered the Israelis initial resistance, but soon they all fled their positions, leaving all of their heavy equipment behind. Israeli ground troops advanced into the Sinai, found numerous Egyptian positions simply abandoned, with tanks and heavy armor left in perfect condition, just as in 2 Chronicles 20 under Jehoshaphat. Listen to this. The Israeli army acquired so much abandoned Egyptian armor and warfare that after the war, they had enough to outfit five new brigades in the Israeli army. Many Arab fighters reported seeing gigantic soldiers fighting for Israel, and so they gave up before Israel even arrived. Don't have time to tell you days three through six, but during that time, the six-day war ended with Israel tripling its territory. And everything you hear on the news, them talking about, you got to give back the Golan Heights. You got to give back the West Bank of the Jordan. You got to give up the Gaza Strip. All of that was stuff that they took in 1967 and still have today. Because God promised that once you get back into your land, no one's ever going to take it from you again. Instead of being annihilated, they captured the Sinai, the Golan, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and reunited Jerusalem to be under an Israeli flag even to this day. The moral of the story, don't mess with God's people, even if it seems the popular thing to do. And that would be well for people to remember today. Say amen. Daniel's revelation of the time, the kairos moment, the opportune moment, reading from Jeremiah. He also read from Jeremiah 25, 11, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It turned out to be 70 years exactly to the day because Daniel saw what the Holy Spirit showed him, began to pray it in, and the breakthrough happened. Daniel effectively stood against the darkness of his generation, refusing to bow to the unjust laws of the day, <clears throat> worshiping idols, praying to the living God, even when it was illegal to do so. The wisdom of God provides the understanding as to where and when we draw the proverbial lines in the sand. He didn't pick a fight with everything, but he stood on the things that were crucial, the things that were important. He stood for the truth, and he was rewarded for it. I don't know about you. But I believe we are always called to stand up for the truth. I was dismayed this week reading an article as O. Roberts University made it as a Cinderella 15 seed into the NCAA basketball tournament this week. The screams went up from the world. And vile articles written against O. Roberts himself the founder of Royal Roberts University, as I said, that these, these people, these Christians shouldn't even be allowed in this tournament because they're bigoted and they're homophobic. And they have rules in their books. That they, they have rules that say that they, they, can't, they can't even 
be homosexuals in this school. And so they shouldn't be allowed in this. And, and the world railed this week. Boy, I was pulling for them last night against the Arkansas Hogs. Even though Arkansas is an SEC team, I had to go. I'm Christian first, SEC later. We're always to stand up for the truth in some way, but always with grace. My friends, if, you've actually, if you actually believe that the LGBTQ agenda is as noble a cause as civil rights, you'd better study up on your Martin Luther King Jr. history, my friend, because he was a man of God. He preached Christ. He preached the word of God as the power to affect change through nonviolence. The world makes no sense. If you've equated the public honoring of perversion with the issue of racial reconciliation, it's time for you to spit out the Kool-Aid and wake up. Because it's a deception and it's a lie. The world screams, follow the science for a year. And then abandon science completely on the transgender issue. Follow the science? You must be crazy. On the other hand, there's always a delicate balance, isn't there? Because this week as we prepare for Easter, we are reminded that people are afraid. People are broken. People are hurting. Even those who spew such vile nonsense. There's a delicate balance. The way we carry the presence and power of God is crucial to the lives of those that are hurting and broken. We speak the truth, but we speak it in love. We love like God loves. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world, neither the things of the world, because if any man loves this world's system, the love of the Father isn't in him. I like what the message says, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. This is the divine tension of revival. The divine tension of revival is that we have to come back to the truth. We have to stand for what's right and true and not compromise what we believe, that we believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God, and it has not changed just because a few people got together and said, oh, well, it's ancient now. Oh, it's draconian now. Oh, well, what about this? No, no, no. We stand with the word of God because the ancient of days is still alive and he's within us. We don't serve a religion. We serve a risen savior. So how do we respond to the divine tension? Love the people of the world, not the systems of this world. Not its values, not its morals, certainly not its godless worldview. John 15, 19 says that we are in this world, but we're not of the same spirit as this world. Love people, hate devils. I was deeply moved this week recently by something Clay Nash wrote. I'll read you a couple of paragraphs. <clears throat> Quote, the people we need to reach may not live attractive lives. 
They construct barriers designed to repel anyone who embodies the life of Christ. We will not be welcomed, not at first. That's a given. But get past the barriers, past their lies, the spiritual minefields and the napalm, and you will find a heart in need, one desperate for the truth. Indeed, the times may never have been better for the outpouring of God's Spirit than right now. Think about it. Would people, misguided though they are, be taking to streets, smashing buildings, and burning neighborhoods if they were not hungry for change? Would gender-confused people mutilate their own bodies if they were not desperate for fulfillment? Their answer will never come from a doctor's scalpel. For us, the key is perspective. Separate your heart from them and you will see a riotous mob and a sick populace. But get closer and you will see heart afflictions common to all mankind. Confusion, doubt, fear, lies, and a lack of love. People take to extremes when they are desperate. When the enemy exploits the wounds of a sin-fed heart, chaos reigns, but their needs are also exposed. And their hearts may be as open to the word of God as they are to the enemy. End of quote. This hit me. It made me think about when the disciples returned to Jesus in John 4, which I just preached about a few weeks ago. Remember the talk about the woman at the well? Remember how shocked they were that Jesus was compassionately interacting with, number one, a woman. Number two, a Samaritan, half-breed woman. Number three, an immoral Samaritan, half-breed woman. As the disciples returned there, began to talk to him about food and about this woman and murmur amongst themselves, Jesus quickly turned the conversation into the main point. John 4.35 from the message. As they're railing about all the situation around, he said, as you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it'll be time to harvest? Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. My friends, in the moment where they were railing and upset about him breaking all the traditions and speaking with this woman, she was going to witness to her whole community. And Jesus had to point out to disciples like them and disciples like us that the whole point when the world gets worse is that Jesus shines brighter. The world filling itself with whatever it can grasp onto that can never satisfy is longing a savior. Longing for love in truth. 
I want to challenge you this week. Easter is only what you make it to be. If you close yourself off this week to all the screaming that's going on and allow it to shut you down from your compassionate heart for what people aren't really saying but are really thinking, feeling, believing, you're going to miss out on the harvest. Because it's harvest time. Everywhere you go this week, God is going to put people in your path that are dissatisfied with something, aggravated about something else, and secretly fearful that they are not enough for what's going on in the world right now. But there is one who is more than enough. There is one whose love can penetrate and permeate and get through to some of the very people that this week are Christ haters. The enemies of God who would have seen Saul on the road to Damascus as a candidate to become Paul the Apostle? Not me. Not you. But Jesus has a way of knocking people off their high horse, literally or figuratively. Jesus has a way of getting us to look up into that light and behold his glory. The glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's harvest time. That's the bottom line. It's harvest time. It's time to thrive, not just survive. Because this is the message from our text today, Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Verse 5, build houses and make yourselves at home. Put in gardens and eat what grows in that country. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so you'll thrive in that country. God's will is no matter how much America has changed God is going to redeem it through you and through me because God will turn everything the enemy means for harm and God will turn it for good. But you and I have to do what Isaiah wrote. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you for gross darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Kings will be drawn to the brightness of your rising up. We can sit and cry and lament about the world changing in a year 
Or we can take this upside down world and turn it right side up again by winning the lost, by reaching the broken, by loving those who don't feel lovely. Speak life. Speak life even when you find yourself in Babylon. Because by the blessing of the upright, the whole city is exalted, but it's overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. We need the grace and peace of Jesus Christ to reign over Babylon again. What's our takeaway for today? God's plan to give you a future is to give you a future and a hope, but it includes being a blessing exactly where you are right now. Let's not join in with all the fear mongers and all the doubters and all the aggravated people. Let's be those who speak life. Let's be those who plant the garden and grow the food for the next generation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, we're desperate for you. Would you move in us, God? Would you change us, Father? Father, pull us out of the ditch of all the complaints and fights and aggravations. Let us be your people, the people of light, the people of salt, the city on a hill that can never be hidden. Lord, move in us. Move in us. Let it be said of us those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Let it be said of us that we would not shrink back from the challenges of our time but we would rise up with the love of God in our hearts. The joy of the Lord is our strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to do the works of Jesus. Maybe you're watching today. Maybe you're in this room and you're struggling. Maybe you're hanging by a thread. I want to challenge you today. Open your heart to the only one that can satisfy. Open your heart to the only one who can save you from yourself. Open your heart of compassion, especially toward people you have thought maybe on the other side of the aisle from you in certain ways. We stand for the truth. We're not going to bow. But when they argue with the truth, let the love that's inside of us, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, Break down their walls. 
pull down their arguments and let love go in. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you're struggling or you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord or maybe you've known him but you know right now you know if you're really living for God or not. You know if you're living for yourself and just playing the game on Sunday. You know if you're playing the world's game and just trying to keep your hands and feet in both sides. My friends, in 2021, there is no more gray area, as I said a couple weeks ago. You're either on the Lord's side or you're not. I know about you, but I want to be on the Lord's side. And I want to be a vessel of honor that reveals Jesus to a hurting world. If you're here today, say, Pastor Richard, would you pray for me? Man, that'd be my honor to pray for you. We love you here. We're not mad at anybody here. We're just trying to help you. This church doesn't have one single perfect person in it. We're all on the journey. We're all in the process. We're all being transformed. Wish I could tell you every day I'm living in victory right now, but I'm not living in victory right now any more than you are over all the stuff going on in the world. But when I lay my head on that pillow at night, I'm trusting Jesus trusting in him and not my own understanding in all my ways I'm just acknowledging him and he promised to direct my path it's harvest time if you're here today and you say pastor pray for me would you just lift your hand up right now just say pray for me pray for me pastor pray for me I need you maybe right now you're at home and you say I need help I need your help I need somebody to pray for me Hands are going up in this room and hands are going up right there in your home. Father, reveal Jesus. Right now to every person whose heart is open, every person whose hand is raised. Forgive us our sins and change us from the inside out. Now I want everybody lifting your both hands up in the air right now. Everybody lift both hands in the air right now, whether you're at home, whether you're in Jamaica, whether you're in Iceland, whether you're in America or in this room. Lord, I thank you for a fresh anointing upon your people. I thank you for a fresh anointing of compassion and power that this week your people would have the boldness of God to love the unlovely, to care for the broken, to get beyond the walls of anger that try to lash out against us and to see the truth. Lord, let your love settle upon your people. Now, church, Jesus' way, let your anointing settle upon us this week as we seek to be obedient just to love like you love and give hope and a future 
that you've seen for us, we release it to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you receive something today, put your hands together and give praise to Jesus. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.